Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe, the French Catholic Cafe, starting to, to shut operations down, Robert. I know, Deacon Jeff. I think this may be one of the last cups of cafe au lait that I have. That's exactly right. Well, we've had we've had so many, I think I'm going to be awake for the next three weeks. And probably need to get some new pants, Deacon Jeff. Yes, Those exactly are, right. We've spent too much time in the cafe in Lourdes. That's right, exactly right. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going we're gonna to do one final show. That's right. And Robert, I thought it was interesting that over the, the, the several years we've been doing these shows, We've never really stopped and just sort of wondered, what, what is Lourdes? What happened here? I mean, we talk about pilgrimage. We talk about the importance of the healing. We talk the about all these things. All right. But you know what? Maybe we should talk a little bit about the, the actual events that inspired so much uh, of, of the allure of this place. I think that sounds like a great idea. And so what mm-hmm. we decided to do is to bring in somebody who might know something, something about that. So we have Jeff Gamble. Jeff Gamble is a Knight of Malta in Obedience. He's the president of the Federal Association of the Order of Malta in the U.S. Uh, the Order of Malta is divided into three associations, right? In the, in in the, the United US. States, that's, that's exactly right. right. So, uh, Jeff, uh, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, Deacon Jeff. Jeff, you, uh, you've been to, to Lourdes many times. How many times have you been to Lourdes? Uh, this is my tenth time. Ten times. Now, in those ten times, I know that you're also picked up a little bit while you've been here, and you've become quite the, uh, the, the expert on, on the local happenings here in Lourdes. And I, so I, I wondered if you might help us explain what we're here for and what we're doing. I'd, I'd hardly call myself the expert, but um, well, I in this room, you are the yeah, expert. Absorbed, <laughs> Out of the three of us, absorbed a lot of it. This this particular area, the foothills of the Pyrenees, has seen uh, over the past fifteen hundred years many many conquerors come and go. Uh, Julius Caesar uh, was in France. Uh-oh. Oh yes, yeah he uh, he was in this area, and uh, the tribe at the time was called the Bigori, and this region today is called Bigor because of that particular tribe. But I think what's most relevant is in the year 800 A.D., Charlemagne showed up, and this was a part of the effort from Charlemagne's grandfather to push the Moors, the Muslims, back, uh, backwards, ever backwards into Spain. And who is Charlemagne? He was the Holy Roman Emperor? Charlemagne literally means Charles the Great, and he was basically the Emperor of the West. Uh, And uh, he... uh, I guess almost for the first and last time, really had both Germany and France, the land of the Franks, under one control, under his control. Yeah, and uh, and, and actually, there's an interesting story about him. Uh, his capital was a place called Aix-la-Chapelle in French, or Aachen in Germany, and he was a great devotee of Saint Martin, who had lived in the fourth century and was Bishop of Tours, and Saint Martin. The legend has it that he split as a Roman soldier. There was a naked beggar uh, lying in the street, and he split his cloak in half to clothe the beggar. And Charlemagne uh, allegedly secured that cloak, and the word for cloak in Latin is capella. And so he created a huge shrine uh, in Aachen uh, for to house this cloak, and it was called capella. 
And that's where we get the word chapel from. Oh, from chaplain. The, from the cloak of Charlemagne. From the, that's from the right. cloak of St. Martin. Uh, from the cloak of St. Martin that Charlemagne. These are the little tidbits that, that we love know. to have. That's exactly. what we love to have. That's okay. why we've got you here, Jeff. Now, so, well, Charlemagne uh, basically came to this area, and it, the, the, there was a fort here. It's called the fort. It's a chateau built on a rock, and it controlled access to seven valleys. So militarily, it was very important. And... And in, in this fort was the Muslim stronghold uh, by a man, uh, headed by a man named Marat, M-I-R-A-T. And so Charlemagne's army besieged this fort and tried to starve them out. And, and an eagle swooped down to the river here called the Gav de Po and uh, picked up a trout and dropped it in the fort. And Marat decided, uh, kind of a psychological ploy, that he would offer this to Charlemagne to show that they weren't starving. And so he gave him the trout. And that presented an opportunity to dialogue. And one of Charlemagne's generals, a general named Guillaume d'Orange, uh, literally William of Orange, but not the one from the Netherlands. This is many years ago. And uh, he basically started peace negotiations. And Marat said, I have sworn to the caliph in Cordova in Spain that I will never surrender to a human being. So it was decided that he could surrender to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And they brought forth a statue called Notre Dame de Puy, and it's a very primitive statue. A copy of it is in the church here in Lourdes today. It's called the Black Madonna of Puy. And so Marat surrendered to that statue, to, to uh, St. Mary. And uh, when he was baptized a Christian, he took the name Lorus, L-O-R-U-S. And that's... Like Lawrence, isn't it? Sort well, no, no, no. Well, it's slightly different. But that's how Lord's got its name. Oh, uh, and so now we know Lord's has a, it's quite a, um, a long history. So it's been around for a while. Related to the Blessed Mother. That's that exactly name right. from yes. a... Uh, yes, strangely so. And in its history, uh, in between, there have been earthquakes. Uh, the village was last burned in 1597 by the French Huguenots. Uh, so it's it's had a very varied history, and um, well, let's let's fast forward to the mid 1800s, and obviously, something of great import and great note happened uh, at this time. Yeah, th- this was um, a, a village in those days. There was no railroad. Uh, the roads did not come in until the Emperor Napoleon the Third paved paved roads and good right. roads till the 1870s. So in 18 18- 58, it was a backwater in the foothills of the Pyrenees. Very poor. Most people here were poor. Uh, there were about uh, 4,000 residents at the time. Um, a little girl, uh, 11, 12 years old, uh, her, her father had been injured and couldn't work, and they actually were literally on the street, and a relative had given them a one room, the, jail, the old jail in which to live. They were living in the jail? They were living in the jail. Uh, it was, well, it, it was not used as a jail. Yeah, but like an old jail. It was an old jail, damp and uh, just unimaginable. I mean, now people were used to bad conditions, uh, even bad smells in those days, just the way today we're used to noise and light pollution. Right. Yeah. We, we don't, I mean, somebody, <clears throat> if you took from the 1850s today, would clap his hands over his ears because they couldn't stand the noise right. that we listen <laughs> we're to constantly hearing that. all the time. And and they so, would, they were, we, we would, if we went back then, we'd be holding our nose. <laughs> holding our nose, well, that's we, right. We, we would be offended. And, <laughs> and in those days, too, with literally no electricity at night, you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. You could see millions of stars that we can't see today. 
but you, you couldn't see anything. And so they needed wood for their fire. That was really the only thing they had, to both, both heat and light. So she and her sister and some friends were sent out to gather firewood. And the area where today there are a great many hotels and streets and shops was nothing. And uh, they looked along the river in a place where driftwood would collect. And, and this is an interesting day, uh, February uh, 11, 1858, because in the United States, Abraham Lincoln was still asleep, and he didn't know it yet, but he was going to win a case and win a couple of thousand dollars. So it was a big case for him. Ah. Um, President Buchanan uh, that day was uh, appointed a new uh, consul general to Sweden. And uh, up in Boston, a man named Patrick Kennedy uh, was uh, all set to baptize his youngest child, who would become the grandfather of President Kennedy. Interesting. And so, a lot of stuff going and, on in the world. And poor Patrick Kennedy died six months later of cholera. So oh. people came and went pretty quickly. And what happened? And so in Lourdes on that particular day, we've got... So Bernadette, Ber- Bernadette and her sister uh, decided to. Uh, th- there was one mill uh, on the river here, water powered, uh, th- and and uh, they were told stay away from that mill because the mill owner will think you're stealing something. So you want to be careful. So she comes along the area between the mill run, the stream that went through a kind of a small canal, and the big river, which was very swift flowing. And they realized that over against a huge rock called, the French have a name for everything, you know, yeah. every little rock. And this was called Massevier, Massevier, uh, or Massebiel in the local dialect, which means literally old mass, a huge uh, rock outcropping with a small cave. Her companions took off their shoes and uh, went across the stream. They didn't want to get them wet. Or Bernadette suffered from asthma. And... Uh, it's, it's, again, almost impossible in our day and age where it's relatively easy to get warm, to know what it's like to be constantly cold, damp, and wet, and no place to get out of it, night or day. And so there are a tremendous amount of tuberculosis, lung disease, asthma, and, and other sorts of ailments uh, dealing with the lungs. And so she was very delicate health, um, and, and in the event only lived into her 30s with uh, tuberculosis. Right. I um, so she was just taking off her shoes to go across, and she looked up, and she saw in a niche uh, a, a lady. She, did, she didn't identify her, and uh, even, even in the Lord's dialect, she called her the thing, uh, Aquila. And uh, it, it, um, it was a series then. She had a series of visits. Uh, she was called back. And our, our and lady... Go ahead. Now, what did this lady... Tell her she saw the lady. Did the lady talk to her, or did she just see the lady? Um, the the lady did talk to her and talked to her in the Lord's dialect. And interestingly enough, it was the Lord's dialect that was spoken in 800 A.D. here. So it was. Um, and uh, this dialect, by the way, is probably as much Spanish as it is French. And they pronounce everything. Uh, just as an aside, this area did not become part of France till 1607. Um, along, oh, okay. You know, so they, they had their own. Now, this dialect today with radio and TV is largely dying out, like Welsh and Scottish right. have died out. But in those days, that's what they spoke. She literally, uh, Bernadette, when she became a nun, had to learn French. It's almost like a foreign language to her. Wow. And so, but the lady did speak in this dialect. And one of the key things she said was, 
I am the Immaculate Conception. Uh, I think it's que soy era Immaculata Concepción. And this was something that uh, a, a, a theological doctrine that uh, Pius IX in Rome had proclaimed. And uh, there was no way a girl of 11 who was almost illiterate could possibly have understood that. And I think, you know, today we think, well, it's easy to get information because of telephones and iPhones and TV. But back then, something going on in, Ro- in Rome would, would not – there's no way an uneducated – could she even read? Uh, no. In fact, one of the reasons that she uh, was not permitted until relatively late to make her first Holy Communion is because she could not really learn the lessons that were required at the time. So there was no Google at that time, I'm assuming. No. Right? <laughs> so there was just no way for her to know this. And so obviously that was going to, uh, uh, that was going to make some, everyone have to think twice about, about what, she was, uh, what claims she would be making. We're going we're gonna to talk more about this in a second. We're going to take a break real quick uh, when we get back. Uh, and so we've got lots more to talk about, about the, the history of Lourdes and this, this young girl named Bernadette uh, who essentially has changed the world. And so we'll do that right after this. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Throughout history, God's faithful have experienced the spiritual benefits of pilgrimages. Because man is both a physical and spiritual being, God works through the created world, using things and places to help his people obtain a deeper intimacy with him. We see in the gospel, Jesus curing a blind man by rubbing mud and spittle into his eyes, and a woman being cured by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. In the Acts of the Apostles, people longed to touch merely the shadow of Peter, recognizing that it was connected to someone holy. Garments, shadows, and even mud, all ordinary things are used by God to convey special grace, because of whom they have touched. Places have also been treated throughout history with reverence. In the book of Exodus, Moses was told by Yahweh in the burning bush to remove his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. In the Old Testament, faithful Jews would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem to offer Passover sacrifice at the temple, as the temple's Holy of Holies was viewed in a special way to manifest the presence of God himself. At least from the 4th century onward, it was popular for Christians to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to walk where Jesus walked, see the place where the Lord was crucified, and be present at the place of the resurrection. Pilgrimages in ancient times were arduous. It took months to travel from Europe to the Holy Land, with great risks of robbers and other hardships. In the Middle Ages, with the Holy Land being in Muslim control, Christians making the pilgrimage at often times would face death or enslavement. Today, pilgrimage is still popular as a means to strengthen one's faith. Millions travel to places throughout the world where Mary, mother of Jesus, has appeared to faithful, such as Lourdes, France, Fatima, Portugal, and Guadalupe, Mexico. These faithful travel on pilgrimage to ask Mary, mother of Jesus, to intercede for their healing or their spiritual growth. And of course, people are still making pilgrimages to the Holy Land. 
there is a grace that comes from a dedicated journey to a sacred place. With all of its struggles and hardships, the act of undertaking a journey for God helps the pilgrim further his interior journey. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And indeed, we are back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. We're talking to Jeff Gamble. And Jeff, we're, we're talking about Lourdes here. And, and we have, uh, now we have this, this lady who is identifying herself as the Immaculate Conception to this little girl who wouldn't, couldn't possibly even know what that was. Did it look like a supernatural lady or just a normal person? Or do, do we know from Bernadette? I mean, did she think it was just a normal living person? Or did, was there something about this lady that was supernatural? Was she floating in the air? Or, I mean, anything? I think there was something very uh, extremely different. And, and just because for, for this reason that they eventually... Uh, decided to put a statue in this place. And Bernadette, people go and and they look and the statue and everything that's in there. But Bernadette hated that statue. Right. It was, she tried to describe to the sculpture a man named Joseph Fabiche from a very famous sculptor from Lyon in the 18, about 1874. And uh, he pretty much proceeded to do a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the way, very traditional, the way he thought it was, and included the, the blue belt and other things she described, a uh, cincture around the waist that uh, this appearance had. But uh, Bernadette loved, and uh, eventually gl- uh, they showed her lots of pictures, and a strange an icon called Our Lady of Cambrai is the one that made her jump out of her seat and say that this... This, that is the way she looked. And icons are kind of idealistic. They're not really, they look like a photograph of a person. They're they're very, frank, Greek Greek Orthodox. They look very Orthodox, and this one as well. And she wanted a picture of the icon to be put in the niche, not not a statue. But, of course, as with many things with Bernadette, they ignored what she had to say. Who who is she anyway? She just had an apparition come to her. First, the poor girl was subjected to... To, to they thought she was mental insane, and uh, right. there were newspaper articles at the time that said, you know, this poor girl has got. And there were also insane. other apparitions in the area, right? Yes, yes. Actually, over the course of the twenty years uh, around this time, there were no less than seven purported apparitions. Well, I guess we should say alleged apparitions. Alleged, it? alleged. It was, it was, mostly it was alleged. definitely, uh, you know, a common and, occurrence for a bishop to hear. Oh, well, we have another. And one. It's always yeah. a young girl who sees the Blessed right. Virgin, and somehow this one stuck. And I sort of tried to figure out why. And for one thing, she was crystalline in her clarity about uh, what she saw. She did not embellish one bit. And the other thing is her entire life, her short existence, which was made miserable by bone tuberculosis. She never made one dime, not anything. And in fact, at the end of her life, the last thing she did before she died was cut off her hair and have it sold to free a slave in Africa. Right. So this wasn't uh, for personal gain no, at there all? Was, I mean, her no. family gained, the city gained, everybody gained, at least on this earth, but she did not. And that's, to me, one of the most authentic things is right. that uh, what she saw. And... and uh, I think it's resonated with people to this day. Well, why? What, what did this lady tell her? I mean, why is this? It was, what was the message of Lourdes? Why did the Blessed Mother or this lady appear to Bernadette? Well, uh, one of the things she told her, in fact, Bernadette 
did with her is pray the rosary. Now, the rosary, as many of us know, are a string of beads, and they have a fairly ancient history. Um, legend has it they were given by Our Lady, St. Mary, to St. Dominic in the year 1214, but that, it's not true. That didn't happen because uh, the biographies of St. Dominic for 200 years after he died don't even mention that. But it has an ancient history, even if you can believe this, Lady Godiva of, you know, on the, the horse. The chocolate lady? <laughs> well, the, 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 the original one. <laughs> the original one in the, in the 900s uh, on the horse uh, with the long hair. She, in her will, left what was almost a rosary. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people think that the uh, knights who, when the Crusades came back and adopted it from uh, the Muslims because they have their prayer beads with the names of Allah. They Christianized it. To yeah, well, that isn't true because it existed in Europe before the Crusades. Okay. And so it is, but it was linked up with devotions to our Lord and his life, the mysteries. Uh, you know, uh, and, and now we have with uh, John Paul II the luminous mysteries, uh, and um, the uh, uh, and, and and these episodes in the life of our lords uh, are what the Rosary is designed to recollect or go through. And Our Lady, again, uh, many Catholics are accused of worshiping uh, the Blessed Virgin. Yeah, Mary. we should be clear here that you know when you have a place like this where we have pilgrim after pilgrim after pilgrim coming and, and giving honor to Our Lady, we're, we have to stress that that's, that's honor and devotion, veneration. It's not worship. It's, it's not worship. It's veneration. And the message of Mary here and in other shrines is a way to Jesus. It's, it's a way to worship God in the Trinity. Uh, it, it's a vehicle. It is right. not an end in itself. And so the, praying the rosary is a way to get closer to Jesus, which is one of the things that Our Lady told Bernadette a, exactly, to do. Exactly. It's a way to participate again in the life of Jesus in did, his works. Did, did Bernadette hear any other messages from Lady to do anything else? Well, she did. She actually asked people to come in procession, and she said build a shrine on this spot, which was the most unlikely of places, a cliff to build a shrine. And, and the, the last and, and most enduring thing is she, uh, she said to Bernadette, and people thought she, Bernadette was truly crazy, dig over here, come, and uh, wash yourself in this spring. Well, there was no spring. So Bernadette... And, and, and there was a river right nearby. There's I mean, a river there's, nearby. Yeah, so don't wash but, in the uh, river. No, come wash, over here and wash in the spring. Come, come over here and wash in this spring. And so she started digging in the dirt, and all of a sudden it became moist, and she smeared it over her face. And this convinced the crowd that she was truly mad. And, in fact, they hauled her home in disgrace, laughing. And that night, the spring, more and more and more water came up. And to this day, it flows, and people people bathe. They, they have baths. Uh, they have uh, taps or spigots where one can get uh, the Lord's water, which is very famous. Then why is that? I mean, were there healings associated with this water? Or did Mary uh, say that the water would be used for healing purposes? You know, I believe or? there's 73 uh, miraculous healings. And, you know, recollecting the words of St. Paul in a different era, in that uh, uh, some were cured, but all were healed. And I think that's that's really what. Well, so we here. have we have a lot of pilgrims that still come here. A, a million a year. Yeah. Uh, come and here. see, so obviously this is still quite relevant. It, it is, and not just Catholics. Uh, three years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury came and, and uh, ba- bathed in the baths. And so 
It's uh, other Christian religions which do have venerate uh, Our Lady Mary um, come here uh, quite uh, quite a bit actually. So it's not just Catholics. So do we think that uh, in this, I mean, it, can people mistake this uh, this devotion to Mary for something else? I mean, do, does that happen? It doesn't happen here. I, I see it so beautifully here, but maybe uh, an onlooker, someone who doesn't quite know exactly what happened, can this be confusing to them? I, I think it can, and that's why I think the history is so important. For instance, St. Bernadette didn't like the statue that's there, and it's only a statue. That's not what she saw. That's right. not what's... Worshipped, and I think on the surface people can look and say, "Look at all these people looking at that statue in the niche." And the truth is, uh, that that's not really. Wasn't it Saint Basil talking to the iconoclast way back when, talking about the fact that the the statue in our in our teaching is really it's just something that we look at like a picture, that that and and our 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 uh, our veneration, our honoring passes through that statue to the to the actual right. person kind of like if you had a, a picture of your mother and you kissed the picture of your mother you're not kissing the pic- the piece of paper you're kissing your mother in that situation right just like if the statue breaks you may be sad you lost the statue but you don't think you hurt god i mean the statue That's itself right. is just a reminder it's not the real the reality and exactly and in the orthodox uh Religions. I mean, they have icons uh, that right. do the same thing. No, I think that's exactly right. It's a, it's a reminder. So, so all these people come to Lourdes, right? They mm-hmm. come here. They they, they seek healing, uh, whether it's uh, some kind of miraculous physical healing, uh, and we see this. But at the same time, we also see people who are spiritually healed. I, I think almost everyone who comes here with an open heart is, and I think uh, many describe it. As sort of a foretaste of heaven in, in the sense that there are many nationalities here. Uh, the uh, people who, frankly, come here disfigured, they're sick, they're ill, are treated with great respect. We've kind of turned the world upside down. The only thing missing are those loved ones have gone before us to heaven. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, it, it, it's, it's something St. Francis Xavier, who was not born too far, just over the Pyrenees here in Javier, Spain, and when he was preaching in China, one of them asked him, what, uh, Lin Mok, you know, pre- priest in Chinese, what, uh, what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the halls of hell? And he said, he thought for a minute, and he said, it's this. If you go to hell, you'll see a huge table set with wonderful food, all kinds. And everyone sitting there has chopsticks that are four feet long, uh-huh. and they can't reach their mouths. And he said, now, if you go to heaven, you'll see the exact same table all the delicious foods, and everyone with four-foot-long chopsticks feeding the person next to him. Now, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And we get the sense of that here in Lourdes. So, Jeff, thank you so much for spending the time helping us give, give, give us a little perspective and help us understand uh, the beauty of this, uh, this devotion here to Our Lady, but also to this wonderful, this wonderful little town. It's my great pleasure, and I, I wish you every good thing and God's blessing. Well, let's ask the intercession of Our Lady to sort of close out our show. Sounds let's great. do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary. Full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association 
and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>